Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings, slither in place, because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. We're back today taking on part two of our Snakebird profile of one of the most compelling characters in the Bible, Abraham. That's right, guys. In part one, we covered Abram's early life and the culture he was raised in. We also saw that God called him out from that culture to a foreign land. His father died. He's now the captain of a very large family and inheritance. And after an unfortunate pit stop in Egypt due to famine in the land, Abram and his nephew Lot have grown to such a level that their servants are now bickering and fighting because of the limited resources. They decide to separate from one another. Lot chooses the green grass upon which the region of Sodom and Gomorrah sit, and Abram humbly takes the portion opposite Lot to keep the peace. And that pretty much launches us into the next part of the story, doesn't it, Josh? It does, yeah. (sighs) I gotta breathe after that one. (laughs) Yeah, I looked at my recap and I was like, well, he hit all the highlights. You know, whatever. (laughs) Stow the notes. But um, before we jump into um, actually chapter 14 where we see this this crazy scene with kings and stuff, I wanted to say a little bit about the area that Abram has returned to, this place called Hebron. Yeah. So for the modern reader, this is the current region of the West Bank, now identified in archaeology as Tel Hebron. And as we'll see, Hebron is a location that sees tons of biblical action over the next 500 years after Abram, including the grave of Sarai, the central location of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, as we'll see Moses and Joshua. So this is definitely ground zero, a ground zero location for many things to come in the Old Testament. But one thing I'll say before moving on is that Abram didn't know any of this. He didn't know that the simple things that took place here at Hebron would amount to anything. All Abram knew at this point was that he needed to stop and build an altar to worship this God of whom he followed. To Abram, this was holy ground, not because of all the future things that would take place there. It was holy ground because that insignificant spot of dirt was the place that he offered worship to God. It was the presence of God that made this place holy, not the other way around. So I just found that pretty cool that this little place, Hebron, was the beginnings of of so much. Yeah, really an epicenter of a lot of things. Yeah. And then um, from there, we're going to talk about (laughs) some warring kings, are we not? Yes. Yeah. Right as we get into chapter 14, we find a very Lord of the Rings type of situation here. The battle of five kings versus four. And we're going to have fun pronouncing some of these names. Yeah. Forgive us in advance. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've got on uh, one side, you've got Kyrdor Leomer of Elam. You've got uh, Amraphel of Babylonia. You've got Arioch of Eleazar, and you've got Tidal of Goim. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And on the other side, you have Bera of Sodom, Bersha of Gomorrah, Shinab of Amda, Shemember of Seboim, and uh, Bela. It doesn't even say what his name was. It just says the king of Bella. I saw that. I was wondering if you found some extra source that told you the name because I, I, I didn't. No, I didn't find any name. <laughs> and I and I did pause there so that you could continue reading all those names. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, oh, okay. I'll, I was like, so, nice. I'll keep, keep going. going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we find out the situation is that these five kings, twelve years earlier were actually conquered by Kirdaleomer, and then he has been, since then, subjugating them and basically making them pay him tribute 
during this whole time. Yeah. In in this period of time, a king was a ruler of a city. You know, we think of a king now as someone who... Region. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when a king would get power hungry, they would conquer new territories, either by themselves or in an alliance with other kings, which is what we see here. And even in that alliance, you might see an alpha king, which in this case was Ketoleomer, king of Elam. Yeah. So he was top dog. So, yeah, that's um, that's where we're sitting with these guys. And they're they're opposing each other because um, they're the five kings are tired of being lorded over. Yeah. And this this situation was years in the making. It was... Uh, coming about even before Abram left Ur of the Chaldees. I mean, all of the background and the the history of this. Yeah, yeah. And I know I found one interesting thing about Amraphel. Did you you had some some meanings behind some of these, didn't you, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I, again, we talked about this last episode. I really like looking up their names. Um Ketelamer means handful of sheaves, so like collection essentially. And Amraphel, his name means sayer of darkness. Mm. Um, Arioch means lion-like and title means great son or fear and reverence. And that's on one side of the battle lines. And then on the other, um, as you look at the, the ones that were actually causing this rebellion, um, the king of Sodom, his name means son of evil, which is kind of fitting. Yeah. <laughs> and then just across the way, Gomorrah means son of wickedness. I find that interesting. Shinab means splendor of the father or father's tooth. I don't know how those two correlate. <laughs> uh, Shememba, his name means lofty flight or soaring on high. And then Bella, just the city means destruction or devouring. And so if you're trying to find some really neat spiritual background here, it almost seems like uh, on one side is good and on the other side is not so good yeah it does it has that feel after you read the names out like that um amraphel who's on the good side which is kind of weird here but it it defeats the purpose (laughs) (laughs) but it's uh something i found interesting was he was the king of shinar which was a land that stemmed from nimrod uh basically the human father of babylon which rather than the, the city we've talked about before it's kind of an early root of ideology that survives all the way to the book of revelation but like you said um even though this is a human conflict, there, there's most definitely a spiritual warfare that is driving things behind the scenes. Yeah, and we would never root for subjugation of any people. It's just interesting that um, any time that you align yourselves with Sodom and Gomorrah, you're going to find yourself kind of in a bad situation. That's true. Because you know, their names, no matter what, yeah, have a weight of wickedness. And, and to kind of go along with your point here, at the end of this battle, we see another yet moment of good and evil that approaches. Yeah, a, a line drawn in the sand. Yeah, and Sodom's on the bad part of it. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. well done. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this is something that I love when we get into this kind of information, that this context hasn't really popped with me, even though I've read these chapters so many times, is that this conflict isn't just a skirmish. It's it's not something that happened like, oh, he hit me. And so, you know, I'm going to go defeat him. This was years in the making. And like I said, even this campaign that these four kings set off on is like a year worth of campaign. They start way in the north and they take what one commentator referred to as the king's highway. And they come and they start defeating some people groups along the way. And uh, they get all the way south to the Valley of the Dead Sea. But I wanted to say these folks that they stopped to fight 
it's kind of interesting who they are. True. And right before we get to that, I found it, of course, very fascinating that Lot has chose the perfect timing to to park his tents in this yeah. region because yeah. all of this stuff. It, rem- it reminds me of the Stevie Ray Vaughan song, Caught in the Crossfire. Okay. Because, because of this scene with Warring Kings and Lot's in the Crossfire. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just thought that was almost comical that he, that just perfect timing. Lot. I know. I, I think I point that out later where it's like, wait, I, I just got here. Yeah. <laughs> How, how do I play a dog? I don't have a dog in this fight. Yeah. I just want to live in Sodom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so while they're on this all-out campaign to squash the uprising and put it into their insurrection, they're moving down south. And first and foremost, they come to the Rephaimites. Yes. And uh, for some biblical scholars, maybe that's starting to ring a bell. And I didn't even think about this till I started looking them up. Uh, this people group is supposed to be giants. Yeah. Without opening another podcast discussion, we should probably note a few things about these people because they, they don't seem to be, from all the research I did, at all normal people. No. Um, some of the commentators said that the Rephaim, Zuzim, Imim are just different, which those are yeah, fun little names of yeah. these people, yeah. um, were different names for the same giant people. Mm-hmm. But some said, and it looks like here to me, kind of my side of the fence uh, that I land on, that they were different tribes and different elements separated them. Okay, So that's kind of how I read it, and some scholars do too. Either way... Um, they were giants yes. from what it looks like, yeah. which I, I think this goes back to the whole Genesis 6 thing, which is so fascinating, yeah. and I want to go yeah. off into that, but we can't. But um, these giants, they were feared by all people, and it was a true feat for the kings to have defeated them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, because this, this same word comes up again when it talks about King Og of Bashan, yeah. who we know whose bed was 13 feet long. And so, I mean, the correlation of them being giants is there. And I thought that was really fascinating. But then you go on and you said the names, uh, Zuzim. Uh, when you look it up in the Hebrew lexicon, uh, the word right there is stands, it says roving creatures. Or another uh, definition is aborigines of the lands of the Ammonites. Oh, wow. And so I don't know. Did I you just, look up each of the names? Yeah. What it, it, Does that differ from the description of the Rephaim and yes. the Imim? Yes. That's, so so there, it seems to be different types. Yeah. Okay. So when you go to the Emims, is that what, how you said it? it? Yeah. You're probably saying it better than oh. me. Emim? Emim? No, Emim makes me laugh on the internet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sorry. Emim uh, means terrors or ancient inhabitants of Moab. And like you said, there's allusions to them being giants as well. Yeah. And so, uh, and then the last group is the Horites, which I found to be one of the most fascinating because in the Hebrew lexicon, it says cave dwellers or one of my favorite put downs, troglodytes. (laughs) It actually refers to them as troglodytes because it said they lived uh, either in caves or also underground. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, honestly, all of this should be another episode at some point. Yeah, because this is—it's really fascinating. A deep dive into the underground people. Yeah, that'll be a that'll be a real rabbit hole of an yes, episode. Exactly. Oh man, I love these little puns. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I just I. You know, you come to a verse in scripture and sometimes you just give it such a quick read and you're like, oh, people groups, people groups. They're just, you know, they're yeah. conquering them. And and yet the richness of 
revealing who they might be is really interesting. It awakens so, the imagination. And yeah. to think, I mean, this is true. Yeah. And this is probably where Goliath came from. And then yeah. his brother and the guy in the Bible that had six fingers on each hand mm-hmm. and not the Inigo Montoya, you know, was, you killed my father. I was fixing to take okay. it there. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the glint in your eye. You did. And so this, this again was all out war and it was this moving force of invaders coming to lay down the law on those that are uh, insurrecting against them, saying, yes. we're not going to take it anymore after 12 long years of having to pay tribute. Yeah. And they say, oh, yeah, well, we're coming. And they come yeah. and defeat the, yeah. the buffer of giants between yeah. the two. Yeah. And um, head straight for him. And I saw... Um, in the scholarly forums on the internet webs, that the <laughs> Valley of Siddim is, which is where they gathered to mm-hmm. fight this yeah. this battle, it could possibly translate as the Salt Flats, but um, it, it was the place that they they met to have this battle. And it's funny you mentioned uh, Princess Bride because the the tar pits that they said was in this land everywhere yeah. reminded me of the fire swamp. Oh, so <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah, and. I really liked reading it in the King James Version because the King James Version says slime pits. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the word translates to, well, it can translate to slime or uh, asphalt, pitch, or a word I don't know very well, butamen. Uh, A.K.A. fire swamp. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it comes from subterranean fountains that are like oil or hot pitch that just boil up. It reminded me of the La Brea tar pits. Uh, found in Los Angeles. Oh, nice! You know that yeah. that bubbling tar that's consistently going so there. It's kind of a almost like a little otherworldly type of land here. Yeah, that there, there's giants. There's these pits. <laughs> I know it's it's right out of a fantasy almost. It, it is. Um, and yeah, so they they have this battle here at Sidham, and um, it, we see a pretty quick conclusion. I mean, it doesn't spend a lot of time. You know, like in some battles where they're holding Moses' arms up or yeah. It's just like there's not a back and forth. No, it's it's just a fourth. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you don't pay taxes. This is what happens. Yeah, boom. You, I almost thought the five kings would outweigh the four, but no, it was no. it was just a, a flood. It was a wave. Even after going through the giants. Yes, so, exactly. They, pretty wild. They had they had some momentum, yeah. and they wiped them out. And it says that all of a sudden people started fleeing. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, they were wusses and they, they ran away right away. Yeah. And these tar pits, these, uh, what did you call them? The fire swamp. Yeah. It actually ended up being a terrible battleground for them to choose to make their stand because it started eating them alive. Yeah. It said that some escaped, but many of them fell into the tar pits just trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And um, like always happens, after a defeat, the the victor kings gained the spoils of war. And um, verses 11 and 12 tells us that they took all the goods of Sodom, Gomorrah, and all their food supply and departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Okay, so I know it says he's living in Sodom, but I just had this visual imagination of him pulling up in the U-Haul and then being like, give me the keys and get in, you know, get in the passenger <laughs> like side. Instantly. And like just, they're starting it up and he's like, we're home. Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, I just moved in. I'm not, I don't know them. What are you doing? Yeah, it is. In, but you know, the tragic thing about verse 12 there about it saying that he was living in Sodom 
Whereas before we saw that he just appeared to be camping near it. Yeah. And the obvious application would be the caution of how close we get to sin ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I I found that just sad when I saw that part of it. Because I I guess I never really seen that, that where before he was living near it. And then here, as it's getting overtaken, we see he's in it. Yeah. You think about the correlation to Psalm one, where it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And it talks about that progression of, well, at first he was walking and then he's standing. And the next thing you know, he's sitting. And it feels Mm -hmm. like when he chose that land, maybe he saw the bright lights of Vegas. And the next thing you know, it says that he stretched his tent as far as the outskirts and now he's there. Yeah. Which is what we see all throughout scripture. Yeah. It's, it's birthed and then it grows to full conception. Yeah. And you, you play with sin and the next thing you know, it's got its hooks in you. Yeah. And so, yeah. And they take him. Yep. So we now see that a survivor from the Battle of the Kings makes their way to Abram, Mm -hmm. which naturally um, told him all that happened. And Abram realizes his nephew Lot has obviously been taken. And he immediately responds by putting a rescue team together. Yes. Doesn't he? Yeah. He's got... 318 trained servants. Which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got his allies, uh, Mamre, Eshkol, and Anir, the guys that live near him. And, okay, I have to point this out. Uh, first and foremost, you messed with the wrong guy's nephew. That's true. And right here, is this the biblical version of the movie Taken? Right. Because I, I have to say the speech. Yeah, do it. Okay, because he goes, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But if you're looking for vengeance, I can tell you, I don't care about Sodom and Gomorrah. But what I do have is a lot of wealth and a very large set of trained soldiers. Wealth, soldiers, and strategy I have acquired over a long time because God gave them to me. Things that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my nephew go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will take away all your things. Academy Award goes to Josh. That is great. I was looking up, how do I do a Liam Neeson? I I just can't do his old man, awesome Irish accent. But Well, you got it pretty close. When I landed on that, I was laughing so hard because that... It, this it is, is the biblical version of the movie Taken, it where really he's is. like, I, I will find you. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And they do. The The most extensive details were given is that he basically goes as far as Dan, divides his forces by night, and defeated him, uh, pursued him all the way to a place called Hobah. And... um I'm sure there's questions here like, how in the world did Abram with 318 men take out a coalition of armies that just subdued five kings and giants Yeah, in one night? Well, okay. So here's another thing talking about uh, as far as Dan. Yeah. I This is, again, one of those things where you get a lot of more context when you study it. Dan could have been up to 150 miles away from Hebron. Let no bitter root spring up. <laughs> he was going to get every single one of them. He was going after them. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, for again, for me, I always thought this was a little campaign, like 318 yeah. people. I don't know how many uh, 
four kings had mustered, but he he went up there and he took care of business. And I appreciate the fact that they show that he was not only training his men in war, but he was also a strategist. Yeah, where he divided his camp into two yeah. know, different fighting forces and surrounded them. And and obviously too, I mean, I imagine it's the same reason that David was able to slay Goliath. The same reason Moses walked up to the leader of an empire and took millions of slaves away from him. Whatever took place that night, Abram was able to conquer against whatever odds because of who was on his side, Yes, which was God. And uh, that's always been God's nature. You know, give me less so I can show you more. Yeah. Which is just, it was, it must have been a, I wish they'd make a, a movie or something on it. It would be too cool. Well, if there was a taken speech, it wouldn't have been like, I have all this on my side. It would have been. I have God on my side. And yeah. He's going to make sure you give me my stuff back and my nephew, more importantly. Yeah. You well, know, last chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it is the hammer is dropping. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Fast, another fascinating scene. So after Abram conquers these kings and rescues Lot, he, um, he heads back home with all of the spools of war and captives. And we see that on his way back, the king of Sodom comes out to meet him at the valley of Sheva. And this is where things get interesting. Uh, one named Melchizedek comes out to meet Abram, bringing bread and wine to bless him. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this, Josh? Oh, I, I I love it. And you know why. For sure, yeah. We see that Melchizedek is called the king of Salem and that he was a priest of the Most High God. And it was really hard for me not to get into this topic deeper. But if we did, it would be a whole nother episode, mm-hmm. which we promise will come eventually. Yes. We're going to put it on the books because this one is going to be its own Snakebird profile. But we felt like if we went into it, we would get so far off topic of talking about Abraham. We would. We really would. There's just no way we could have done it. And uh, to make a long story short, I believe this character was an early form of Jesus who was, mm-hmm. is, and is to come. And if that blew your mind, then join the club. But it's another episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, oh, yeah, he's a priest and a king and the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And Yeah. Yeah. I, There's so much mystery. And we'll get into it. Yeah. We promise, but yeah. not here. Y- you know, we don't want to talk too much about Melchizedek, but what did you think about the bread and wine? I, I found it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, indicative of communion? Exactly. I, I mean, it's for me again. It's wild to place in the timeline that manna and the Passover haven't even been been a thing yet. Yeah, and, and that's not going to happen for another couple hundred years. Yeah, exactly. And here he is going, "Hey, sup with me, commune yeah. with me," which is an, another reason that's going to be such a fascinating profile mm-hmm. because it's it's God slowly introducing these things of what He's doing to His people. It's just fascinating. And then to the Lord's Supper. I mean, even way beyond that. Well, and I talked about, I did a teaching one time about how communion elements were tiny time machines. And (laughs) the bread, the wine and traveling through time. Yes. I remember it. Yeah. And I didn't even mention this part, you know, because I, I just, I came to it and I was like, well, when did I put this in that message? And I didn't. And I thought, well, you know, facepalm, I should have, because this is so cool right here that Jesus, even before the institution of communion or even the institution of manna from heaven, which represents Jesus, and then the Passover, which represents the sacrifice and the blood, he was still showing us communion was going to be a thing. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Yeah. It's awesome. And before we, you know, carry this this whole idea of what's happening here with Melchizedek, the king of Sodom and Abram and all that, I do want to touch real quick on this term king of Salem. 
Um, there's some different thoughts on that. The word Salem means peace, so you could say the king of peace, and that would be correct. But some scholars believe that this is also an archaic root for Jerusalem, which red flags would be going off. Wait a minute, Jerusalem is not a thing yet. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of in that whole anachronism topic, which many consider critical of Scripture, but it's really a much broader topic that I don't believe is negative at all. And I feel like last episode, I unintentionally brought that up in a way that could have been perceived as critical. So I wanted to clarify what that term could represent. And um, being that the topic arises again here with the idea of Salem being connected to Jerusalem. So this could very well be a dual meaning strategically placed by God in Scripture, a physical and ideological meaning, a root of Jerusalem and king of peace. Um, Just because we see something out of place according to the general consensus of scholars doesn't mean that a root form of it didn't exist long before people started recording it. And the only reason I bring any of this up is because there's a lot of critics of the Bible out there, and it's these gray areas of wording that are put in a negative light. But the truth is, it's not negative at all, and many times archaeology will discover that in a new cuneiform tablet or the discovery of an earlier version of people um, or something like that. So for the majority of Christians, this is probably completely irrelevant, but there are times when we're doing research um, where we'll find these criticisms like this. And the last thing that I want is for someone to doubt God's word because it is 100% trustworthy. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that because I, I saw this again here, and you're always going to see critics bring this stuff up. And when they throw a term like anachronism out there, you're like, oh, that's bad. It doesn't have to be bad at yeah. all. So I just thought I'd mention that. Well, and we don't want to shy from the conflict. We want to confront the criticism and allow it to be addressed and, and to have some meaning. So true. And, yeah. and to be man enough to say, I don't know too. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> Oh, I appreciate that as well. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, we're back at the scene. Melchizedek blesses Abram. Yes. And, um, Abram does something that might sound very familiar to us in the modern church. He gives uh, a 10th of all he had mm-hmm. to Melchizedek. Yeah. And I wonder if Abram had any idea what an example this would be for generations to come. I don't know. You know, I don't think so, but... Because, I mean, that's still a sermon today. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But it's the same thing with living in Hebron. He didn't know what kind of an epicenter that land was going to be. It's the same thing of him being faithful in this uh, leading, I believe, of God's Holy Spirit to give this. And all of a sudden, now he's setting a precedent for the church. Yeah, it's really neat to see. We're seeing a lot of these firsts, aren't we? Yeah, we these really introductions are. to things to come. Yeah, with one of the fathers of the faith. Yeah. So then, after this, uh, the king of Sodom tells Abram to keep all the spoils <laughs> and um, just to give his people back, is what he says. But Abram, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He he tells him, no, he can't keep all of it, as he has sworn to God that he will take nothing that belongs to the king of Sodom. Yeah. And I know I have a, something a little bit on this. What okay. do you, you got? Any any thoughts on this, Josh? I've heard some really neat teachings about um, people that maybe just love this for the application. That are like, "Hey, the devil wants the people, and he's going to let you keep the stuff." And Abraham resisting him here, or Abram resisting him here, is so indicative of what Jesus would do. Jesus is like. I, first and foremost, I want the people, which, and that's not really the the debate, but I love that Abram is like, I am in no way, shape or form going to take anything from you mm-hmm. that increases my livelihood or, or allows you to say that you 
made me wealthy, that you made me who I am. Yeah, I got that feel too, for sure. I saw one commentary, um, Kyle and Delich commentary, which is a fun name to say. <laughs> they say this about why Abram refused everything from the king of Sodom. Of the property belonging to the king of Sodom, which he had taken from the enemy, Abram would not keep the smallest part because he would not have anything in common with Sodom. On the other hand, he accepted from Salem's priest and king, Melchizedek, not only bread and wine for the invigoration of the exhausted warriors, but a priestly blessing also, and gave him in return a tenth of all of his booty, as a sign that he acknowledged this king as a priest of the living God and submitted to his royal priesthood. Obviously, that was an older commentary, <laughs> but I, I thought that was really fascinating that he's he's not going to have anything in common with Sodom, but he did accept that and more from Melchizedek, all in. Yeah. And, and even though the conflict of the battle of five kings versus four kings is over, it almost felt like another war was happening or a battle was happening right there. It really did. You have the two spectrums of reality, good and evil, approaching Abram after he's accomplished this amazing feat. And Abram chooses to surrender to God's authority rather than to give into the temptation to connect with Sodom, mm. as Lot did. Uh, which would represent the world system. Well, right there, if Abram had um, succumbed to that temptation or to that desire, all of a sudden Sodom has a foothold in his heart. Yeah, they got a hook in. Yeah, yeah which is point. exactly talking about what sin does. Yeah, so much, so much application. Yeah. And you, you saw what Lot did and what Abram did mm -hmm. in this. And how they, they move forward even in this. Which, you know, even with all this stuff happening, keep this in your mind, listener, because we're going to get to a point where God doesn't give up on Lot either. Mm -hmm. But we see that time and time again, he makes these bad decisions. So that that's hope for me because I am the fool so many times yeah. in my yeah. life. Yeah. But um, anyway, that, uh, that brings us... To chapter 15, doesn't it, Josh? Is there anything to sum up chapter 14? Yeah, I'd like to just say this. You know, talking about taken speeches and everything, I really like what Abram says here. And I know you just went into it, but he just, I like how he looks at Sodom and he goes, I will take nothing from you, not a thread to a sandal strap, and I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say that I have made Abram rich. And I like then, of course, that his allies they get their share. They get their fair share. And so anyway, it just, to me, like in terms of speeches in the Bible, that yeah. one makes me want to like get up and start doing the slow clap or yeah. even just the cheer. So for sure. It's yeah. another like taking or Braveheart speech. Yeah. To, and he, he has so much conviction almost as you read it. Yeah. I mean, nothing. Yeah. Don't give me a toothpick. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. almost, it's better to just read scripture because it even does it better than we can describe it. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes, well, God is the best screenwriter. He's the best storyteller. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so chapter 15. Um, this is the chapter we see that God promises Abram a son. And after this wild battle and encounter with Melchizedek, we're told that the word of the Lord comes to Abram and says, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And it's so awesome to see God reminding Abram at these different points that he is still there for him. 
that he still has great things in store for him. Yeah. And so that, that's a really great start off in chapter 15. He's It's another reminder from God. Yeah. This is one of those where I say, if you're an underliner, if you're a circler, if you're a highlighter, this is a great verse to highlight, circle, or underline because it's such a wonderful promise of God. And I did see some commentators who said that maybe Abram was freaked out after this whole um, conflict happened in his area, that next thing you know, he's going... Well, now I'm worried that people are going to come in and just squish me and, and my little troop here. He's now got a target on his back because yeah. he's drawn attention to himself. Yeah. And, which and that'd be, that'd be understandable. It, it totally is. I, it's one of those, <laughs> it's Mythbusters. It's plausible. I didn't know if maybe he's just, God is just coming and reassuring him as, as he often did with Abram. That's true. You know, because he knows that we need it. It's, it's that almost like a refilling of the Holy Spirit nowadays. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I love what Abram says here. What good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. (laughs) (laughs) What good are all your blessings? Yeah. And God clearly tells him, this man will not be your heir. (laughs) Yeah. And okay. So here, Abram is an easy target for criticism. But I can't say without a doubt that if I were in the same circumstances, I wouldn't be um, saying the exact same thing. True. Because in cases like this, I I really want to examine my own heart about waiting for God's promises because it's already been 10 years now. And I like the honest expression that Abram brings. Uh, to God, because I also feel like this is something that a wise man once said to me is that God can take all of our questions. Mm-hmm. He really can. The hard stuff, he doesn't want us to be like the, oh, greatest thou father that I knowest, you know, thine can do anything, you know, and, and reverent prayers are, are sincere. But if you have something where it's really eating at your heart and you're going, what is going on? Yeah. It's okay to say that to God because he can take it. That's true. And he'd rather us be honest with him. That's true. And one of the greatest, you know, attributes that I've noticed in God as I've grown is that he he's not only a good father, but he's a good teacher. Mm-hmm. And you you do read of, of verses like in Job where God comes back with, <laughs> yeah. you question me. Yeah. But here... God tells him, he says, this man's not going to be your heir. And mm-hmm. he's he's takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. Mm-hmm. And he says, look at the heavens. And, and he basically tells him, if you're able to count them, then you'd be able to count the, the descendants I'm going to give you. Yeah. And he's such a good teacher. He, I noticed, you know, even in my own life, how God does that. He, he, he's not a hard God. He teaches us and he's gentle with us even when we're frustrated. He's not a rake you over the coals. No. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to show you now. Exactly. But I love how the first time that he wanted to show Abram how big the nation's going to be, he goes, consider the sand of this, this, the shore, the sea. And now he's saying, Okay, so I use that as an illustration, and we know that you can't count how much sand yeah. is even maybe in a cubic yard yeah. of ocean or beach or whatever. Yeah. And then now let's go outside and look at the stars. Yeah. And imagine how many stars you could see without light pollution like we have oh, yeah. now living in big cities. Well, if you're if you're a hiker or hunter, you, you have an idea of it is breathtaking. <laughs> it is. And then you talk to the 
astronomers and stuff, and they'll tell you even more stories about yeah, it because it's, it's we just don't an even iota see yeah, of what's it, out there. Oh, good word. Yeah, it's a ton <laughs> of stars. Yeah. So God's making a statement when he says this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we come to verse 6, and this is a key verse. And it might be one of the most key verses in all of the Old Testament. Because if you are a, a believer, I would encourage you to memorize it, circle it, frame it, uh, retweet it, post it on your social media, whatever you need to do. It says, and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it as righteousness because of his faith. Yeah. I think of this scene uh, between God and Abram is the first, the first verse that comes to mind in the New Testament is Second Peter 3, 9. This says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And obviously that's in its own timeline, but it's an example of God's heart starting back at these mm-hmm. early promises. And because um, there's a lot that's gone on between that first encounter where God promising he's promising him these things. Mm-hmm. And we're at this point and not not to go past that bomb that you just dropped with reckoned it to him as righteousness because that that it plays a big part here yeah and i know that perhaps at the end of the profile we're going to talk about abraham in the new testament but this verse right here is the key to talking about salvation through faith yes and when uh the word righteous comes up here uh the hebrew talks about it being rightly clothed that's what righteousness means in this context rightly clothed or robed in righteousness and you think about adam and eve they were naked in their sin but now uh right here abram is clothed in salvation you think of isaiah 61:10 it says i will greatly rejoice in the lord my soul shall be joyful in my god for he has clothed me with garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments as the bride adorns herself with jewels yeah, that's awesome to, to pull out of scripture. Yeah, and, there's so much there. Yeah, and like I said, we'll talk about. I I think we'll talk about this a lot more as we get to for Abram sure in in the New Testament. That's true, and it's it's just really neat to see that somewhere in this conversation between Abram and God, Abram makes an official commitment of belief where we see that it's credited, as you said, as righteousness, mm-hmm. and. um it's elaborated on extensively in the book of Hebrews as well as so many Romans. others. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, such an awesome, awesome just stop in a, a, a scenic part. You can stop on the road and just look out <laughs> yeah. for eternity. And camp on that verse. Yeah. For real. Yeah. And then Abram says, how can I be sure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, and there's a lot here too. But in verse eight, we see that he's like, God, I need to build a sail. <laughs> On this whole descendants <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, can, can I get that in writing? <laughs> and God said, yeah, bring me three-year-old heifer, three female goats, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> well, <laughs> one commentator said, that sounds like a witch doctor's shopping list. <laughs> but Abram knew what it was for. He's like, right on. Just okay. what I had in mind. Okay. Yeah. I'm down. <laughs> And, you know, one might think that Abram is contradicting his belief in asking God for this, but uh, one commentator said this, 
Abram's question, whereby shall I know that I shall take possession of it, the land, was not an expression of doubt, but of desire for the confirmation or sealing of a promise, which transcended human thought and conception. To gratify this desire, God commanded him to take preparation for the conclusion of a covenant. So, you know, we have to remember that Abram didn't have the promises of God in a book like Mm -hmm. we do now, Mm -hmm. that he could stand on and revisit and meditate and dwell and chew on. And a lot of times we have a memory verse that we can go back and stand on a promise, but covenants were made by a different means back then. Yeah. And this was something, this was God coming to his level so that they could do this in the time. Yeah. So this procedure, I guess you could call it, was actually commonplace in this time. And it was called cutting a covenant. And you would take these sacrificial animals and you would divide them in two. And uh, both parties making this covenant together would walk between the pieces of the sacrifice, declaring that if they fail to keep their word, they deserved the same fate as the animals. And so God, in saying to Abram, get these animals ready, all of a sudden, Abram sets this up. And the next thing you know, as he's waiting out there, all these birds start coming and they start attacking these carcasses, trying to get their fill. And he fights them off and he ends up getting uh, really sleepy. And he kind of falls into almost like a spiritual coma, (laughs) you know, where God says, hey, I'm going to let you sleep for a little bit and I'm going to talk to you, right? Yeah. That's true. And I even saw some some people bringing out some application of, of Abram chasing away the birds, mm-hmm. protecting what God was doing. Yeah, because birds in the Bible can be representative of um, demons or devils. Yeah, that's true. And um, like you said, uh, this was usually done between two parties stating their, their part of the agreement. And the fascinating thing here is that um, Abram falls asleep. Mm-hmm. He's not walking through this. And we see this fascinating thing where a smoking fire pot, flaming torch is what passes through the pieces. And uh, the cool thing is God's the only one participating in the sealing of this covenant, meaning this agreement cannot be broken by Abram. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating thing. It's a promise that cannot and will not become void as God is faithful to this thing that he he is setting. Yeah. He's he's playing both parts. Yeah. It, it to me this beyond blows my mind because it is so awesome and I know there's some some prophetic things that God speaks over Abram which we'll talk about in a second, but this portion of God saying, "Hey, I'm going to carry the weight of this commitment on my shoulders. Uh, it's now not a joint covenant. It's a unilateral covenant because God says, you can't fail in this. Yeah. It's now my covenant to keep. And the one thing that we know about God is he can't break his word. And I just, I love that because when it's us, we're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to break my diet, you know? And the next thing you know, you see me wiping cookie crumbs off the side of my beard, <laughs> you know? This covenant won't be, God's not going to allow it to be threatened by what us humans will inevitably screw up. Yes. Our failing. Yeah. Because and it will happen. We will. Yeah. As we will see with the law in a few hundred years. As we'll see with <laughs> Abram here in just a, a well, few, of course, you know, that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, so cool. So cool that God's like, I'm not going to put this on your shoulders. We're not going to walk through together. In fact, I'm going to do it. And, and he does it, like you said, with the, the burning oven and then the smoking flask. And somebody said that, that it was indicative of the pillar of cloud 
that led the children of Israel oh, by yeah. day and then I could the, totally see it. the pillar of fire and it just the the representation of who God is going I'm going to be the one to carry this on my shoulders I I get goosebumps thinking of this story yeah. because of how neat God is and how much he loves us and how committed to this relationship that he that he has strived for ever since he created us yeah, for sure. It's awesome. And just real quick, um, I, I would state that we're, we're hearing a lot of covenant language here. Mm-hmm. This covenant, that covenant. Just so you know, this covenant we're talking about right here, it was a promise that God would give Abram's descendants this portion of land. Yes. This is the covenant that cannot be broken. And so I just thought I'd throw that out there because I, I hear a lot of people say covenant and they group a whole bunch of different covenants into mm-hmm. one. So yeah. that's that's this one that we're talking about. But about this sleep that that comes over Abram, uh, it says that a terror and great darkness fell on him, as God tells him in verse 13. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age." And then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So this 400 years is an obvious prophecy into the future Hebrew slavery we read about in mm-hmm. Egypt. Yeah. Um, but this prophecy kills two birds with one stone, figuratively and literally, as we saw in the ratification of the covenant. Two birds. But seriously, <laughs> this, That's messed up. this is so cool to me because as we just mentioned in Second Peter 3, 9, We see that this scripture also kills two birds with one stone because the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. This is speaking to God's promise to Abram. And then the second part of that scripture, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Speaking of God's heart for even the Canaanites. How cool is that? Because though God can see in the future and knows the decisions that the Amorites will make, he still says in verse 16 that their iniquity has not yet complete, meaning God gives every possible opportunity for repentance before judgment. Mm -hmm. So he's telling Abram, you know, I love it. I'm not slow about keeping my, and I know it's, it's a context thing, but it, it really is amazing to me. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not slow in keeping my promise. This stuff is coming around the pike. Yeah. And he also has a heart for even the people who he knows the decision they're going to make, but he's still there and he offers it. And his arms are ever outstretched. Yeah. Cause I, I can't tell you how many people I've heard talk about the, the, Joshua leading into Canaan and slaughtering all the, the what they don't they don't get the backstory. Mm-hmm. God gave them chance after chance at four hundred years, yeah, until the iniquity was complete. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. So anyway, I thought that was some cool stuff. Just um, awesome the prophecy to pull out of that, and uh, just some really cool stuff to point out. Yeah, and one other thing is that I just God, even in that revelation during uh, the time that Abram slept. He said, let me let you know what you're getting into in terms of receiving this contract for this land. There is going to be some stuff that goes down, but it's all for a purpose. Yeah. And, and, you know, while you're going to be dwelling in this land, it's an incubation period. So 
I, I, I just think that's neat that even God in his contracts, he's like, I'm going to give you a disclaimer. Yeah. And it, he's, he's legit and he's up front. And sometimes people, they just want carte blanche God. They want like no hardships, no trials, no bumps in the road, no valleys. They want all mountains and you can't have that. That's, yeah. that's not the spiritual, that's not the Christian walk. And so I just, I think that's really interesting. It's pretty, pretty fascinating too, that in some portions where we wish God gave us more details, he doesn't. And then mm-hmm. these portions, he's like, Hey, by the way, this and this and this, and this is going to happen. I'm going to lay it out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we see it in this prophecy, but yes, pretty cool. And that leads us into chapter 16. And, um, now Abram and his family are even more established in a relationship with God as he leads them towards these promises, these covenants, and we see after 10 years of Abram living in Canaan, um, the anticipation of God's promise that he would have an enormous amount of descendants starts to weigh on Sarai. Yeah. And um, in, in patience, she suggests that Abram take her Egyptian servant Hagar in order to start the ball rolling. And for her to suggest a surrogate is not unusual or unheard of during this time and, and especially in this culture. In fact, according to the custom, the child that would come from this surrogation, <laughs> I don't think that's a word, <laughs> uh, would actually be considered the child of Abraham and Sarai. Uh, okay. But I just, okay, I have to point this out. Hagar, the maidservant, is an Egyptian And it's, again, plausible might be the word, but for me, it's almost a certainty that she joined Abraham and Sarai after their episode in Egypt. And to put it in a little bit of a spiritual correlation, our time in the world, because Egypt represents the world, can lead to costly baggage later in life. That's good. That's true. I mean... Too true. Now, you've got this bondwoman who is... You know, I'm sure that she served Sarai well, but now all of a sudden you have this Egyptian bondservant getting all up in the mix and her again, uh, suggesting this is not a bad thing. It's just a bad thing when God didn't lead them into this. It's almost like Sarah said, I heard somewhere that God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know. It seems that they've probably they'd probably been trying to have kids, and mm-hmm. she she had this idea. She thought she was barren. And <laughs> Abram's like, it's not for lack of trying, God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she knew that God made this promise, and so she's like, you know what? He made the promise. I'm barren. You know, it was a natural thing in her mind mm-hmm. to just go there. Yeah. But um, honestly, I think that's where most of us go wrong at times. Uh, we don't quite know what God's up to, how long the wait is. So we assume that we have to pave a portion of the road for him. Mm-hmm. And the unknown scares us. And our assumptions sometimes lead to things that God didn't say. And that's where we see Sarai at this point. And honestly, I can't come down on her too hard because this is me so much of the time. Um, well, God said that there'd be an heir to come from your body, but he didn't say my body. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's a thought process that we all sometimes impose on the situation. And, I, you know, I think of something you said in a past episode that sometimes the the most obvious thing to do next when you don't know what to do is wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember if that's exactly what you said, but that's what she should have done here. Yes. And speaking of assumptions, there's actually uh, one commentator said that she felt like her barrenness might have been 
all the roaming around and the traveling that they were doing during these last 10 years. And so now the fact that they're getting established and she's still barren is weighing on her even more so going, all right, we're not just picking up and moving every, you know, couple of months or whatever it was in this traveling circus, so to say this, this sojourn. Now that they've laid down some roots, uh, she felt like her body should have normalized and that the baby making factory should be open for business, quote unquote. Yeah. And she goes, yeah, still nothing's happening because I'm sure with that many servants and that many people around their community, there was a lot of criticism. Oh, yeah. And we see that all throughout scripture. They thought there was something wrong with you if you didn't get married. They thought there was something wrong with you if you didn't have kids. Yeah. There's all these things. There really were. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like the situation with Adam and Eve both taking the bait, we see that Abram's like, well, sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's really sad because here's where Abram, man of God, should have said, hold on, uh, let me just go ask. Yeah. That would have cleared up a lot of, uh, <laughs> of inconveniences. Unless this was a testing time where he wasn't hearing either. Mm. Because those times of silence, it's when we assume. Yeah, but that's when you should wait. You shouldn't just rush through and and kick down that door. True. But if you couldn't ask God if he wasn't speaking. So Uh, he should have waited. (laughs) And he looks at himself and he goes, 85 years old, not getting any younger here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's not good. But I'm I'm putting myself (laughs) in his shoes, so to speak. The plumbing still works. (laughs) (laughs) Which would have been impressive. But hey, this was a different time. Yeah, he he does end up living to be 175 years old. Exactly. We're, We're still, you know, we're still calming down from the Noah situation. To where- <laughs> Is this a midlife crisis right now? <laughs> yeah, it could be. I guess you could title it that possibly. But um, he, he definitely agrees to it, doesn't he? Yeah, he <laughs> probably quicker than he should have. He did. And he agrees to take Hagar um, as a wife. And she does, in fact, give him a son. And obviously, Sarai was extremely grateful that her idea went as planned. And naturally, it brought the family back together stronger than before. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, because, hey, why don't you take this other lady, go ahead and have relations with her, and let's see how that uh, ends up ruling our house in peace. I mean, seriously, what was she thinking? This caused so much resentment, jealousy, and dysfunction in their lives. For the next 4,000 years to the moment you're hearing this, listener, we're still seeing the ramifications of this terrible decision. (laughs) And I know we're still taken into the, the fact that this was a cultural thing that happened and all this stuff. But for crying out loud, they were being led by the creator of the universe. Just wait till his next instruction. Yeah. So. Oh, man. Even in times of silence, God is the God of the 25th hour. He's the God of the 87th hour. It's it's better to wait than to just move ahead. Yeah. And the next part just cracks me up. (laughs) Um, Genesis 16, 5 and 6. Let's read it, guys. Okay. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I don't mean to laugh, but it kind of reminds me of the time when my wife, Vanessa, for Valentine's Day, she told me not to get her any flowers. Okay. She was like, it's meaningless. It's it's dumb. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank goodness. I was thinking, that's $100 well saved. And so 
the time comes and I, I come home from work from Valentine's Day and a mistake was made. She wasn't <laughs> she wasn't very happy, even though she told me I don't have to get her flowers. So I read this and I was just in the mind of a woman. <laughs> just, you can't please them. And so <laughs> we have this slave. I love you, babe, by the way. We have this slave that despises and likely antagonizes her mistress with a, a new pride. And we have a mistress now mistreating the slave because of it. The wife is mad at the husband. The husband is plagued with confusion and regret, tells her to just do whatever she sees fit. And, I mean, naturally, it's an, it's so dysfunctional, and Hagar can't stay there with that. It, she probably was antagonizing her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's just a terrible situation. But guess, Sarah has authority. Yeah, now. I, I never thought about how great the size of their community must have been at this point and how much pressure would have been on Sarai to get pregnant. And then the moment that Hagar gets pregnant, I'm sure she's now going, oh, I can't, you know, clean up after you as much because yeah. I'm cleaning for two, you know, exactly. all these little nitpicks and all these little, you know, passive aggressive statements. Well, and that's a good point you bring up too. how big the community had gotten by that time. This would be akin to like what the nation would be expecting of the first lady. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of expectation, not just from Abram in this this little house. We think of it that this is all going on in a little tent. Mm -hmm. no, they had a community. Yes. And so that's a great point that she had a lot. Well, and the stress. whisperings going from, I'm sure, tent yeah. to tent going, everybody knows that God told him he's going to be the father of many exactly. nations. I mean, his name means exalted father and he has nobody. He's got just his servant from Damascus. Who's kind of older. Yeah. You know, that's his heir. You know, where, where's the child going to come from? Cause all of a sudden Sarah walks in the room and they go, you know, she's here, you know, yeah. awkwardness, awkward.com for sure. And you know, the really cool thing at this point is that God could have allowed Hagar um, to just run away, being that she wasn't part of the plan. But we see that God, he sends an angel to find her. And um, this is what is said in verses, starting in verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. Mm -hmm. So it's not just um, flowered up for her. It's a little bit of both. Yes. Things are going to be okay. You're under my wing now, not by mm -hmm. my plan, but mm -hmm. you're under my wing and I will stay true to that. Yeah. But here's what's going to happen. Here's here's some things that are going to happen because of this. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we mentioned before I read that, that she did run away into the desert. Yeah, she, uh, I might have left that out. Oh. <laughs> <But> she, <laughs> yeah. Sarai was so mean to her that she was like, uh, that's it. Yeah. I'm out. She, she deuced out. Yeah. But um, but because of God's faithfulness, he will now bless Hagar, even though um, what happened wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And all things considered, I'm actually so grateful for this being recorded in Scripture because it's yet another example of God's persistent towards us in love. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And here we see that though a bad decision was made, He will not only use it for His glory, but He will make sure that those involved are not thrown to the wolves. Mm -hmm. 
and this this boy that's going to be born Ishmael, he's not going to get thrown to the wolves. Um, he'll get the same opportunities anyone else will have under God's wing. Yeah, but um, and that's the heart of God. Yes, yeah, for sure. And and it does spawn some conversation between perfect will and permissive will. And yes, you know. Um, Unfortunately, even in Galatians, it talks about the bond woman and the free woman and a lot of spiritual application can come from this. But when you're talking about their lives, you're going, man, this is tragic and this is hard because she's living it. Yeah. And she goes, I just was doing what I was told. Yeah. You know, why Why should I be punished? Which what a topic that Paul even pulled that into Galatians. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's just a crazy correlation. Yes. But yeah. it's there. Yeah. Pretty, pretty wild. So mm-hmm. I think we've probably reached a good stopping point. Do you think, Josh, or do we want to get into 17 where his name finally gets changed? Uh, no, this is a good stopping point okay. right here. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> we've been going for an hour, and uh, I think we can wrap up part two here and then, of course, pick it up and probably gain some steam as we go. True, true. So keep that in mind. We finally get to see the new name, which you've already heard probably several times. I've had to correct myself (laughs) almost every time. (laughs) But yes, he will will be Abraham next episode. And her name will mean the same, but she'll no longer be Sarai, but she'll be Sarah. Yep. That's right, which I've I've messed that one up too. Already. And it'll be a lot more comfortable to say <laughs> <Yeah>. Sarah. <laughs> Moving forward, we'll have a lot less uh, of us saying the wrong name. <laughs> yeah, and less editing for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, I've got another uh, takeaway point for this one, even though I know it's not the end. Yeah. Let's talk application. Okay. Cool. So from the time God called Abram from his land, last episode. Um, 24 years have passed from there to where we're at right now. And within this 24-year period, we see that a lifetime worth of events have happened physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If this story was fiction, then we'd probably have enough action and events to stop it right here. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story is not one of fiction. This is a true story of a man who answered God's call and return. God used him as a foundational piece in in God's eventual plan to reconcile the world to himself. And while we know that there's an entire episode left on this story, what we have so far should be extremely comforting to us, because I believe that every Christian could look into a portion of Abram's life so far and say, yep, that's me. Um, I, I was a pagan once. I was called out of that too. Just like Abram doubted God to the point of acting in sinful ways in Egypt, we too will doubt God's plan in our lives. We will make sinful and selfish decisions. But also, just like Abram rose to the occasion against the superpower of his day, defeating multiple kings and their armies under the cover of night, we too have seasons where God is so present in our lives that every battle that comes our way is crushed by his presence in us. So my number one takeaway point for you, Christian, is one of encouragement. Um, Though we are in scary times even now, riots in the streets, economic uncertainty, sinful urges of every kind are knocking at the door. And though every one of us are facing these various things, our refuge is found in God. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, 
Chin up, Christian. Jesus is coming back. But until then, strengthen yourself in his spirit. And remember, even if you have seasons that bring you to your knees, for whatever reason, know that Abram did too. And if hope was not lost in his case, then neither will it be lost in yours. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big one for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Amen, for sure. You know, um, you talk about Abraham, Abram, Abraham. Uh I appreciate the fact that all of his stories, he is a surrogate for us. You know, as much as Hagar was a surrogate for Sarah, he's a surrogate for us in terms of leading us into these stories, these father of faith, you know, and and we criticize him or I criticize him for some of the decisions that he makes. But again, it's the same thing of criticizing Adam in the Garden of Eden. We're all going to make those same things happen. We're all going to fall in some way because we're sinful. And I just appreciate his story and all the things that we can take from it as we see him become that father of faith. And, and like we said this time around, um, Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him as righteousness. And that's the foundation of our faith. Even 4,000 years later, we're sitting here going, we believe God. And that's how the just lives by faith. And we can rest on that. We can just you know, we can camp out. We can, we can, what did you say? <laughs> Park that as the sunset lookout and just yeah. uh, live there if we need to, because that's what faith is. And I wanted to point out, um, we've already talked about it, but with Lot, it's so sad that originally in chapter 13, he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. Now he's living in it. And those who conform to the world must expect to suffer for it. That's a quote that I found um, studying for this. Those who conform to the world must expect to suffer for it because all of a sudden he's being carried away. The sad part is that when he gets back, you know where he goes again? He moves right back into Sodom. Yeah. You think that would have been a wake-up call going, hey, maybe this isn't the right place for me. Maybe these are a bad influence. And and it's not like, um, according to what we read, he didn't have just a a little postage stamp of land. He had a wide array of places that he could have lived. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I felt like that was such a big takeaway. Um, If I can keep going a little bit more, uh, God keeps his promises. I love this, you know, the unilateral covenant where God says, I'm going to shoulder it for us, for you, because I know that you're going to fall but I'm never going to break my word. And even in terms of salvation, Jesus wasn't like, Hey, I need you to do something. He said, I'm going to pay it all. Mm -hmm. And that's what God has been like through this whole time. And then I wanted to say this, and this is just a short little thing. Helping God out doesn't help unless he leads us to. That's true. And if, and if he doesn't say to, then let's not run ahead of him. Because every time we do, it just seems like we create another black hole of problems, right? Amen. Too true. So, guys, we're really grateful that you choose to spend some time growing with us in these episodes. And we want to say thank you. Yes. Um, Josh and I are in no way doing this podcast for any other reason than to, number one, spread the gospel. And number two, connect with our brothers and sisters out there. 
So um, I know that I really wanted to give a shout out to some regular listeners that we've noticed in Dallas, Austin, New Mexico, Washington, Columbus, Ohio, Bridgewater, New Jersey. As creepy as it may be that we know the regions that you're listening from, <laughs> it's really a huge blessing to us because just the other day I found myself in utter amazement just meditating on some of you guys and praying for you. And um, we, we want you to know that we are praying for each of you and we might not have met face to face, but we're connected in Christ and that should spur us to pray for one another and get connected. And um, remember, we can see your face if you drop it on Facebook and talk to us. So yeah. that can be fixed yeah. too. Yeah. But uh, seriously, we, we really, we can't say thank you enough for um, the community of listeners that we can see out there. And uh, we love you guys. Yes. Uh, San Diego, <laughs> yeah, Manhattan, oh, yeah. Chicago. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot more. But yeah. the, I've, I noticed those just right off a glance. Uh, just some regulars out there, and there's so many of you all across. Yeah, consistent listeners from those regions. So thank you. We we really do appreciate this, and and I hope that as Stephen just reiterated what our heart is. I hope that the pages of scripture are coming alive through this audio that as we say some of these things that you're like, Hey, I never thought about it that way. That's the whole point of this is to, to spurn on our affection for God's word and for God himself. And so that's why we're doing this. And that's why we take on specific topics. And that's why we do profiles because not only do we feel like we can address certain things as we take on those topics, but we also feel like there's so much that God can speak to us through the life of someone in the Bible and their do's and their don'ts and all of those things that we talk about. So um, please feel free to request uh, specific topics or to request specific profiles. Like I said, Melchizedek's coming and that one is going to be so much fun. It will. It really will. And um, we, we pretty much said it all, guys. We just uh, we thrive on your feedback. Uh, reach out to us if you feel led to do so. And uh, if you could give us a rating and review, helps push the podcast out there a little bit further. Uh, more gospel to more ears. Yep. Beasnakebird.com. And the email is connect at beasnakebird.com. Or as always, we're on Facebook and we will hit you back. Hey, so that was our part two profile of Abraham. We've got part three coming real soon. Always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be a snakebird. Are you okay? Sounds like I have demogorgons making noises in my belly. Dude, me too. (laughs) Or or tromp wogglers or whatever you said earlier. Troglodytes. Yeah. Did you ever read Tintin as a kid? Yes. I forgot about that. Captain Haddock always goes, troglodytes. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was one of my favorite (laughs) things. I I loved reading Tintin and him always being like, troglodytes. (laughs) That's crazy.